Welcome to the Breaking Into Startups podcast, where we feature stories of people with non-traditional backgrounds that broke into tech. On today's episode, we sit down with Neil Shah, who started off working in finance with every privilege in the world. He threw it all away, recovered, and is now teaching homeless people how to code through Code Tenderloin. Neil keeps it all the way 100 on this episode and tells it like it is. If you want to hear a genuine conversation about trusting your struggle, I'm telling you right now, make sure you listen to this. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, yo, yo. This is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Arch and Timor Meister. And this is the Breaking the Stars podcast. Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah, so today we're sitting at Hack Reactor at about 8. Uh, 7.40 p.m. on a Tuesday night, and we have a very special guest that we're going to speak to him about breaking into startups and also how you can set out on the path to get a job at one of the companies, one of the tech companies in SF. So, Arthur, please introduce our guest. Yeah, today we have uh, Neil Shaw, who is a head of business development and partnerships at Code Tenderloin. And Neil has a background in nonprofits and corporate finance. And one day he was getting a tour of Tenderloin from the founder of Code Tenderloin. And after seeing um, kind of the people around him, he was moved and he decided to quit his job that day and join Code Tenderloin. Neil, before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about your background and where you got your start? Sure. Yeah. I uh, appreciate you guys having me here. Let's see, I grew up in Southern California and I uh, was born in a town called Indio in Coachella Valley where it's hot as hell. And um, I went to Stanford for undergrad, majored in human biology with a concentration in social class, racial justice, and health. And then uh, got an MBA in finance from UC Irvine. And yeah, I joined Code Tenderloin in February of this year. Yeah. So how was your experience at Stanford and what led you to nonprofits and eventually to what you're doing now? I mean, I was a shit show at Stanford. I think I started off really... Just, I mean, if you look around the campus, it's green grass, it's beautiful, people in their tank tops. And I was intimidated, really, you know, because I I came out of high school, I felt like I was an all-star, you know, I was a G. And then I get to Stanford and everybody's just as good, if not better, at everything that I'm doing. So I took the opposite route. I said, well, then I'm just going to try and find something that I can be good at uniquely. And so I fell into kind of human biology because, you know, dad was a doctor, sister was going to medical school. I'm Indian, right? Natural. (laughs) And so I majored in human biology, which, as I mentioned, is, is interdisciplinary, right? So I, I learned hardcore bio. I learned organic chemistry, physics, cultural evolution, human evolution, human behavior, psychology, econ, philosophy, pretty much the whole gamut. I had a lot of latitude on tech classes I took, you know, took the MCAT, prepared for it, studied for it. And I think at some point, I just realized there was a shift in my mentality and I decided I didn't want to be a doctor anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And so it sounds like, you know, this feeling of intimidation actually led you to having a pretty well-rounded upbringing or a well-rounded education as you went through your, your program. You graduated, you got these degrees. Um, and how did you decide what you wanted to do in your career? Because you could have gone in several different directions. Well, <laughs> I graduated. It took me five years to graduate because I was getting into a lot of trouble. You know, I grew up with every opportunity in the world. I mean, I had education paid for and 
Stanford tuition paid for. And uh, because I got it mixed up in drugs and alcohol, I just, you know, I had four drunken publics and two DUIs by the time I left Stanford. Okay? Wow. The fact that I got out of there with a 3.0 was a miracle. And I, I graduated in 2009, right? What happened in 2008? The world fell apart, right? So having no direction, I decided, you know, I'm going to follow my heart. And so I decided to take a job in nonprofit with a, a homeless youth organization out here, Larkin Street Youth Services. Got it. Got it. So that's, that's, that's interesting. So tell us a little bit more about Larkin Street and kind of like your journey towards that first tour of the Tenderloin. Yeah. So Larkin Street is in the Tenderloin. And basically, they're an umbrella organization that provides housing, social services, employment, education for homeless youth. I mean, they're the gold standard for it out here. Yeah. Timor and Arthur have fond memories of Larkin Street. They actually, they first moved here, they lived on Turk and Larkin. So yeah. So that's where the drop-in center was. Oh, perfect. Right there. Right there. So yeah, so I was there. I was a residential case counselor, and um, that meant basically being at these residential facilities where eighteen to twenty-four year olds that are homeless and are now living, trying to get their life together, working, and uh, you advise them, you counsel them, and everything. I had never been homeless, mm-hmm. you know. I had the only time I was homeless was one summer, and that was because I was really upset at my parents, and I lived in a car and crashed on my friend's couch out of. You know, I don't know what you youthful rebellion. Yeah, it just happened yeah. a little late instead of thirteen <laughs> or fourteen for me. It was twenty two, and so I did that for a year, and I lived on Sixth Street right there, at Sixth and Folsom. And if you know anything about, we San actually Francisco, lived there too. Really, Harriet next to the it. park. Uh, yeah, right next to the park. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Harriet and the Folsom. Yeah, I was at I was on Clementina between Fifth and Sixth and Howard and Folsom, which is a real interesting little alley because on Fifth Street you got Westfield, right? You got the nice shit. On Sixth Street, you got the hood. Yeah, like you walk anywhere up Sixth Street if you live in San Francisco, you know what you're getting into, right? Yeah. yeah, and maybe for the listeners, like Arthur and I can tell our stories on a different day. But can you kind of give them an idea, paint a picture of what this area looks like? Because there's a huge contrast between what you see on the north side of Market and the south side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the north side is the Tenderloin, right? So you got crime, mostly addiction, poverty, institutionalized mm-hmm. poverty, homelessness. And then on the other side of Market Street, which they call South of Market, Soma, is well known for being the hub of tech you know, wealth. And so the interesting thing about the North and, and the South side of Market is that it's all in the same district, District 6. And there's the largest, it's a microcosm for just general wealth disparity. I mean, I don't think anywhere, even if you go to New York, you go to maybe mm-hmm. Bombay, but the highest wealth disparity in the entire world exists mm-hmm. right outside our door. And so... You can work at Uber, which is right there on Ninth and Market. But if you're going to leave, you can be there all day. You can be there in their cafeteria. You can be, you know, getting massages, whatever. But you walk out of Uber, you're going to step on crack pipes and shit on the way to the bar station. I guarantee you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. And so, you know, you you followed your heart. You lived in Larkin. You were working for these these organizations, and then you got that tour. Tell us a little bit about what that tour was like. Um, and then why you decided to go full force into Code Tenderloin and how your forays and finance played into that as well. Yeah. So so this was there's a gap between the time I worked for Larkin Street and the time I took my tour, about six years. And I'd say I moved to Brooklyn. I worked on a digital music startup, mm-hmm. got a scholarship to law school, failed out after my first year. I was my 477th out of 480th and got full scholarship and further scholarships to do AmeriCorps and public interest law during the summer. And again, what was I doing? 
I was trying to get high and drunk basically and get with girls all the time. That's all (laughs) I was doing in New York and Brooklyn. Right. But I was still working on this digital music startup, which was basically to try and get independent artists platform where they can make personalized music and videos for people. And we got some family and friends money, my best friend from Stanford and we were doing it, you know, got onto the today show with Kathy Lee and, and then didn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so I went with my tail between my legs back to, to Palm Springs area where my family's from. And I worked in commercial real estate development for about a year. And I thought, well, shit, medical school's out, law school's out. Maybe I'll go to business school, right? So I applied to business school, like at the end of the, the application cycle, got a scholarship to go to UC Irvine. So I, was like, so I have to ask, so were you just very good at t- taking tests? So you were getting such <laughs> high scores that they were giving you scholarships? Or is there like a scholarship hack that we don't know about? I, <laughs> I, think, I think with the LSAT, the, high, the score wasn't that high. It was a 163, right? Mm-hmm. But I, my essay was about my experience in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. It was about public interest and, and working in social justice. But then they looked at my essay, which explained my criminal record. And they were like, we can't take it. I applied to 50 law schools. I got into two, wow. you know, coming out of Stanford, two law schools. And I just, it was, my scores weren't that great, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. I mean, I was never a straight A student in high school. I was the, I was taking a bunch of APs. I was just really well-rounded and I was a hustle. And, um, and smart. Well, naturally smart, just a slacker, you know, one of those kids. And there's a lot of people like that. Yeah. And, you know, schools like Stanford look for well-rounded people. Oh, he's the president of his class. He plays sports. He does this, that, this, that. I was never the, the top student. I was always hated by the top students because they worked hard, you know, but people didn't know, hey, I'm getting up at four in the morning doing my stuff. Yep. And so when I got into UC Irvine, I was like, Orange County. Okay, whatever. I'll take it. I'll take whatever you know, God has given me right now because I didn't really believe in anything. And so I did my MBA internship with Village Capital. And the only reason I really did that was because business schools have this competition right now that's been going on for the last few years called Holt. Holt Global Case Challenge. And it's a million dollar prize to a team that can come up with each year's a different challenge. And that year it was the Clinton Foundation come up with a for-profit social venture to address market-based solutions to poverty. There's urban slums. Marco MacArthur Foundation is doing something like that right now. Yeah. It's like a hundred million dollar prize, wow. but it's like once every like five years or something like that. Yeah. So yeah. I put together a team. We presented, I hooked up with a nonprofit in India doing, you know, simplified hydroponics. And I just put it all this together. We presented, we got to the finals. That's when I met Ross from Village Capital. Mm, shout out to Ross. Yeah. And so I decided to do Village Capital, which is basically impact investing, social venture capital in Bogota and find entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs, and put them through an incubator and get them seed investment so that they can, they can grow, right? So I did investment analysis and business development and recruiting. Like I said, I was in Medellin and Bogota and I got caught up and I just, it was another example of not living up to my potential. I always knew I had it in me and I was always on the cusp and then I would just get derailed. Yeah. So fast forward to finishing my MBA, did a stint in jail for my fourth, third DUI. I just got to keep it real with you. No, uh, my, my pad. Please, please keep it real. This you know, is good. I would literally leave. <laughs> this is, I mean, it's, I don't like to talk about it too much, but I would literally leave the jail in a suit, go to interviews, try and get an interview, come back, split my butt cheeks, get searched, get back in my jumpsuit, get up at five in the morning, sweep and mop the jail and try and do it again. Wow. And one company took a chance on me after I got out, and that was Trulia, the real estate mm-hmm. site. Yeah. Were you there while Eric Wu was there? Mm-mm. I was there. I just got a 90-day contract. Huh. I, for some 
miracle, I passed a background check and they gave me the offer without meeting me in person. Wow. It was a phone interview. And so did you take the interview from uh, jail or no, this I took it from Disneyland. Oh, I got out of jail that day and, and, and the manager, finance manager calls me. He's like, you got a minute? I'm like, uh, yeah, there's little kids around me everywhere. Right. Cause I could get out two days a week. It was pay to stay. Oh, and okay. the judge gave me that because I wore an ankle bracelet on my ankle mm. for five months before I went to trial and it tested my alcohol every 30 minutes. I never violated. So he said, I'm going to give you this jail, you know? And people were like, oh, well, you didn't really go to jail. Motherfucker. I was sitting, looking up at the ceiling in a cell with a metal toilet and a mattress pad this thick for 16 hours a day. I was in jail. Yeah. You know, I thought my life was over. Yeah. All my friends from Stanford, my fraternity brothers started Snapchat, right? They started Robin Hood. Sold their yeah. companies to Google, Periscope, everything, right? Little mafia. Instagram was started right across the street at, at the fraternity, right across the street. And you were there around it all. I was there around it all. And all of them going to Harvard Business School, all of them selling their companies. You know, Evan and Bobby from Snapchat are turning down Mark Zuckerberg and, you know, doing their thing in Venice Beach. And here I am locked up. It's over, right? And you got the opportunity at Trulia. Then, so, yeah. So I took a three-month contract, moved up to San Francisco last March, and was working as a senior analyst. I started as actually just a regular analyst. And then um, I was doing budgeting, forecasting, modeling, things like that. And the week I joined, Zillow bought Trulia. So Zillow, we were just basically transferring over, combining finances, everything like that. So Trulia laid off 40% of their staff and my contract was up in June. So before my contract ended, I found another company called DocuSign. Yep. Yeah. Also another good company. Yeah. So one of those unicorns, right? So I got a job as a senior analyst, you know, and I moved up, got a higher rate and was there for four months. Right. And wasn't anything special. You know, I was under fluorescent lights. It wasn't your startup <laughs> atmosphere. It was like really top down, like corporate wore like my nice slacks, my collared shirt. And then, you know, I wasn't doing a great job. So they didn't try and convert me. And that was August of last year. Mm-hmm. So I was unemployed for August, September and October. And that's when I started thinking about doing social enterprise. I was like, you know what? I'm just kind of, I'm not just lost. I started doing a lot of fucking blow. Okay. I was broken. I was defeated. I got sober. You know, I got sober. I joined AA. I got sober. And I have no trouble talking about this now because of the work I do. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I found a contract at Atleta, the Gap, as a senior analyst. So I took that, never missed a day of work, you know, was going to Petaluma half the week, coming to the gap in Embarcadero did that for three months. In the meantime, though, I was on a panel for the local homeless coordinating board as a volunteer, handing out $5 million in bonus funding for permanent supportive housing programs, right? It was three people on the panel, me, a director at the mayor's office of housing and a director of the mayor's office of housing and opportunities, hope, right? So I did such a good job on that panel that these guys helped me get connected to people. So I got connected to a nonprofit called Lava May, which is, I don't know if you guys have seen these mobile showers for the homeless. They take retired muni buses mm-hmm. and turn them into showers and bathrooms. I have seen the mobile buses that do the laundry for the homeless, which is awesome too. I haven't seen that. I like that. That's cool. I didn't hear about the showers. Yeah. They're funded by Google's nonprofit arm. And so I joined them and as a volunteer, I would go scrub the buses at, on the weekends at five, six in the morning. And because that's how I stayed sober. I, that's what I did. I would go to the gym. Fridays and Saturday nights instead of everybody else going out to the bars and clubs. And I live in the mission. You know what's up, right? Yeah. So then my contract with Atleta is coming to a close. This is February now, this year. And I decide to do this program called Hive, which is like a, a leadership program that you normally have to pay $1,500 for for four days. But I was like, okay, let me 
ask my friends on GoFundMe to raise some money, put down 300 of my own money, raised 600 from friends in, in two days, and got a $600 scholarship. So that 1500 was cake. So, so you're I, hustling this whole time. Uh, the whole time, yeah. And I'm sober, right? So I'm not spending my money, right? And I'm just learning to live life again, you know? And so I joined the board of Lava May. I joined the board of a, a nonprofit, a real small one called Concern. It's a mobile app that does mental health crisis response in the Tenderloin. And I was just like, that is cool. That's yeah. actually how I met Dell. This white boy, like our age, mm-hmm. 25 years old, starts this mobile app. And he would make a presentation at the local homeless coordinating board meeting. And Dell's the chair of that board. So I, I go up to the kid afterwards. And this is when I'm unemployed in August, September. And I'm like, hey, man, I'd like to help you get this off the ground. I have a fa- finance and strategy background. This mobile app sounds awesome. Technology for social good. And then I found out Dell's an advisor to concern. Wow. <laughs> That's how I met Dell through Jacob. <laughs> so so Dell, I had no idea what he was doing with Coach Tenderloin. I just knew he was a cool brother, wore a fedora, you know, wore, always wore a suit. And he was just a, a G. You could just tell. He's a street guy, you know. But he's really sharp, real smart. So we have lunch in January. And then um, I'm like, you know, I want to come on with these walking tours with Dell. If you ever walk around the neighborhood with Dell, he literally, they call him the unofficial mayor of the Tenderloin. This guy walks around like a celebrity. <laughs> but the people he's talking to and shaking hands with or whatever are like people he used to smoke crack with, like straight up. Like, you know, he. I, I think we should do one of these walking tours. Yeah. I think it'll totally. open up our eyes. Yeah. 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 So the day after that Hive program finished, my whole life purpose I designed over the weekend was. Everybody should have a place to call home so that they can have dignity and opportunity, right? So I thought the solution to homelessness or whatever is housing. Everybody needs to have a house, right? That's part of the truth. I went on my walking tour the day after Hive, the day after Hive. And you better be prepared if you go on that walking tour, though. Don't go have lunch with that man because he, he'll get you. He'll get you. We had this walking tour. I said, hey, man, you want to go have some food? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Little, little Indian restaurant right down the corner, right? And I'm like, oh, really? He's like, yeah, little deli right there. I'm like, okay, let's go. So we go, we're eating lunch, and he shows me on his phone this TED Talk that he did, TEDx yep. at mm-hmm. Digital Garage. And I just started crying. I'm eating my chicken tikka masala, and I'm fucking crying, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I told him with my history with working with the Panthers, taking classes at the, the King Institute at Stanford with some of the like, people of the civil rights movement, you know what yep. I mean? Like Clay Carson wrote MLK's biography. Wow. He was my professor. Clarence Jones snuck the letter of Birmingham jail out of the jail from Martin Luther King on toilet paper. Wow. Was his personal lawyer. These were my professors. That's amazing. And so I just thought this guy is a combination of those trenches, those Panthers and the guys that up in the academic, the ivory towers. Like this guy's got it. And, and, and he just keeps it real. So we sat for four hours. You know, I paid for lunch because I was like, you know, this guy, he just deserves it, right? Yeah. It's the least I could do. Yeah. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I had no idea. I was, so I joined as a full-time volunteer, and I've been the only full-time volunteer for Code Tenderloin for the last four months. Oh, that's wow. amazing. So before uh, in our pre-interview, you were telling us about some of the partnerships that you were able to form over the last four months with startups, with uh, coding academies. Can you tell us a little bit about the hustle that you've done over the last couple of months? In addition to also explaining what Code Tenderloin is. Yeah. yeah, so I'll start with that. So Code Tenderloin is a startup nonprofit and social enterprise that does workforce development. Now, that's the fancy term. Really, what we do is we take people off the streets, we put them in a job training program, a soft skills program for four weeks, and then uh, we also do a five-week coding boot camp in partnership with Hack Reactor. So I call it a startup nonprofit for a reason. I put that brand on there. 
because we're lean, mean, just like everything else. And we're an all volunteer operation. So people need to know that we're not going to take your grant money, for example, and just waste it. So the first thing I did when I joined was I figured I started doing research because I I'd never had a development background, which is fundraising and nonprofit. That's what development is called. I had you know some finance strategy, modeling, things like that, real estate development, commercial, you know, nonprofit. So this was all new to me. So part of the hustle is learning the language. Yep. If you're going to learn coding, you learn the language, right? And you do anything you need to do, right? So I would just read, 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 and I would meet people. So Dale had already started relationships with companies that like Spotify, which is two blocks down at Market and Sixth, right? Zendesk, a public tech company. Uber. No, no, sorry, not Uber. Twitter. Twitter hosted the first graduation for Code Tenderloin before I joined. And uh, Dolby, Dolby Labs, the speaker company. So I went to all the directors of community relationships and head of philanthropies, and I said, what does success look like for you in your relationship with Code Tenderloin? I didn't ask for money. I knew that Twitter gave us five Gs, right? I knew that Dolby gave 10. Spotify, they don't really give money because they're private tech companies still bootstrapped in a way, right? And uh, Zendesk kind of paid Dell for these walking tours. So that, that's how he got in. He said, let me do walking tours for all the new employees coming to the neighborhood, right? So they're that's not afraid. Good. That's yeah. good. That's very good. So that was his hustle, right? Because for 20 years, he was homeless in the Tenderloin. He was a crack addict. He was a pimp. He was running 14 girls. He was a pusher. And when he got addicted to crack, it all went down. And so he lived in the Tenderloin for 32 years, 20 of them homeless. So yeah, so anytime that I go out to the street and for any reason, people don't believe what we do, I say, hey, go talk to Dell. Yeah. He lived what you're going through right now, you know? And so it's possible kind of thing. So... I did a presentation at the Mid-Market Business Association, which is a, a collection of membership organization of Zendesk, Spotify, WeWork, Benchmark Capital, right? So I pitched them. Benchmark I, is I, solid, yeah. I never go in and I pitch and I never have a plan. I just go in there and I say, my heart, right? And so we got the MMBA. It was like a pitch. We got 20 grand from them, right? And I lined it up. I teed everything up. I always have a strategy for funding where it all should come in at the same time in a sense. And I'll explain what I mean by that. My first idea was like, we're broke. We have $400 in the bank, right? So we're about to run another job readiness program, the third of which we don't have any students. We don't have any money. So we got emergency funding from a foundation, St. Francis, after wow. one meeting. Dell had gotten a few thousand from him in 2015. And I went in that meeting and I said, this is what the money's going to go towards. If you want to talk budgets, you want to talk forecasts, you want to talk finance, let me show you what this is going to look like, right? And so they were, okay, here's 5Gs, run with it. And so we ran our program. And we got 11, 12 people into the program. And most of the recruitment was me just, I would like bum a cigarette to a guy. And the guy next to me would be hearing me talk about Code Tenderloin. And he's like, hey, man, I'm staying at MNC South, which is a shelter right there at Soma. I just moved to this city. You know, I'm looking for work. I'm like, all right, come with me. Let's do some intake right now. That's the guy that I told you <laughs> ended up getting the job at Dolby. Wow. From Louisiana. And so a lot of the cats that we work with in our program live in shelters, right? They live at various shelters. So once I made the class together and we have program managers that actually run the class, like I wasn't doing all that, but I would bring in the guest speakers. I would bring in people to talk to our, our students and do mock interviews. I started thinking, how are we going to get funding? Only thing I really know about crowdfunding is Indiegogo. So I reached out through my friends at the Hive program to Indiegogo. They're based here. Mm -hmm. So I worked with our design volunteer, design director for five weeks. I went through everything Indiegogo said to do, put together a team put together an email list. You know, There's email calculators that tell you how much money you're going to get from your listserv. Talk to everybody, did their checklist, put together a, a website, 
we had this this company going on a walking tour called Argonaut. They're a design agency or, or PR and whatever agency, advertising agency. They do work for Fitbit, Cricket Wireless. They went on a hundred person walking tour my f- second week with wow. them in pouring rain, right? The whole company. So they come back to Piano Fight, which is our headquarters, which is a bar. And uh, I get up on stage and I tell them, this is what we're doing with Code Tenderloin, which y'all don't know about. And so they took us on, their CEO took us on as a pro bono project. If you look at our Indiegogo video, that shit is badass. They did the whole thing for free, pro bono. Amazing, amazing. They probably spent 30 Gs pro bono on it. And um, so that's the most important part of an Indiegogo campaign is a video. So they did that. And that the, the things I was teeing up, I was like, you know what would be smart if I tee up all this different fundraising and have it seed our Indiegogo campaign. Because the way it works is if you hit 30% of your Indiegogo goal within the first few weeks, mm-hmm. you're 100 or 90% likely to hit your whole goal by the end of the campaign. Because people donate to things that they already donated to. It's a tipping point. And yeah. then everybody's like, oh, man, this is something serious. Right. So meanwhile, we're running our Indiegogo campaign, doing fundraisers left and right. And a month into uh, after my pitch to the Mid-Market Business Association, Steve Spurlock from Benchmark Capital emails me. Wow. And he's like, hey, Neil, me and Peter and Matt, who are the managing partners, want you to come by for a meeting. And I was like, oh, okay. These are guys that are like fucking Midas list. Yeah. They're on the they, cover they, of Forbes. They funded mm-hmm. Uber, right? They were early investors in Uber. So I go to their office with Dell, you know, and we're a good one too, you know, real good one too. Dell's old school. Peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. And I had just finished a scaling model, three-year scaling model with Taproot Foundation with consultants, pro bono consultants. So I went in there. We showed him Dell's TEDx talk and we tell him what we're trying to do with the coding bootcamp, with Hack Reactor's coding bootcamp, which we hadn't even started at that point. And they said, how can we help? And we said, we're broke. We need money. So they said, okay, we're going to make you a donation, right? They didn't tell us how much it was going to be. And they said, how can we creatively help? And this was Peter, Peter Fenton sitting across from me. And I said, we need jobs in tech. Like if you want to help us make us this reality, help us. And so he said, okay, what we're going to do is encourage our HR departments at all 60 of our portfolio companies, Uber, Twitter, Glassdoor, Zillow, Yelp, OpenTable, Snapchat, right? I'm like, all right. <laughs> so, so, and I didn't know that because if you go to Benchmark's website, it's one page. Yeah. They don't even have the They're list of portfolio companies. Yeah. Talk about design. Yeah. They, <laughs> you have to press their Twitter button to go to their Twitter feed and that's where you find them all. So 48 of those companies are in San Francisco. So I, again, though, I get cautious because I'm like, how much a day are they going to follow through, right? Yeah. So, so you set up these partnerships with all these companies. And we also talked in a pre-interview about partnerships that you set up to help people train to get prepared for these coding boot camps. Can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So you mean the actual boot camps and the preparation? Yeah. Yeah. Like the format of the program and then kind of what could our listeners expect? If they apply to one of your programs. And we, we have a lot of friends that are really um, passionate about these issues. And they recognize that even though they might be solving problems using tech, inevitably other problems are created. And homelessness is something that we talk about a lot here. And gentrification is something we talk about mm-hmm. a lot here. And, um, you know, how can people get involved and, and tell them about the program? Yeah, the best way to get involved is to be broke. <laughs> because if you're low income, you can get into our code ramp. And we cover all people's expenses during the program. So when I reached out to Hack Reactor, they said, we license a program to nonprofits for free. It's a five-week, 60-hour boot camp we call CodeRamp, which is teaches HTML, CSS, and heavy on JavaScript and immersion. If you find your own program manager and your own instructors, we won't, we'll waive all the fees. I was like, all right, I'll hustle. So I reached out to all my friends, friends of friends, put the word out. We got a bunch of instructors and TAs, and we work 
at Golden Gate and Market, two blocks from Piano Fight, I asked them to host the thing for free. And they said, yes. And that's four nights a week, six to nine, for five weeks, they hooked us up, right? Wow. And so every day at 6 p.m., I would take all the laptops from Piano Fight that we had locked up. You know, we had got one of our tech partners who wants to stay unnamed, but they were amazing to WeWork and got the key card, took it upstairs, had to pay out of pocket for pizza twice a week because we got people, you know, they're hungry. You got three hours of class, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then in the breaks, I'm talking to them about jobs and everything like that. What other social services do you need? Blah, 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 right? So the coding bootcamp ends. Silicon Valley Bank is one of our partners. They let us host. They, ho- they own the whole mezzanine floor, which is an event space on, at WeWork. So Hillary over there let us host the whole graduation ceremony there, got snacks and fruit and wine and everything. And all 10 of them got certificates that they went through CodeRamp. And then our goal was to tell them, okay, next step is Tech SF, right? OEWD, the city's workforce department, and BayVac, which is Bay Area Video Coalition, a nonprofit, has a program for underemployed and unemployed tech professionals. So anybody listening to this who hasn't worked in tech, like maybe they worked for Yahoo in 2004, right? Mm-hmm. So they haven't found work since then or updated their skills. Tech SF is a good program for that because they have certifications, fast track certifications, which you can do one to two months and get some kind of certification that says in design, coding, whatever. And then they help you get connected back to the tech industry. My thing was like, let me hustle these people through the back door. Because once you get into Tech SF, you pass an assessment, you get a full scholarship. So I talked to Tech SF, I talked to Bayback, and we started helping our students pass assessments when they got to the last week of the bootcamp. We had portfolio building workshops, right? We had partnerships with WeWork-based companies like Press the Shop. Press the Shop is a French company that does free online in- integrations and setups for online stores, right? So their CEO, I met through his person, and he did a whole three-hour workshop on how to set up an online store. Because what I was thinking was, if I'm not going to get employment for these people because they can't get a certification, they can't get a tech job with a certification. That's just not happening. You don't get a job at Twitter with a GED and a certification. You have to have a bachelor's, a master's, or whatever, PhD in data science, whatever. You know, these are Twitter's unprofitable. You know, they're not making money. So they're not going to take a chance because they have a good heart. And I don't expect them to, right? So, but you are helping these people build a portfolio. And so a lot of times, um, especially with tech, some of the opportunity is that it's starting to matter less about where you went to school and these certifications and more about that portfolio that you helped them build through the code rent program. Right? That's a great point. Yes. Because this and this word I don't really like to use, but we're disrupting the career pathway. Yeah, that's good. Rather than disrupting an industry, I consider it leapfrogging, right? So yes, you have a portfolio. Yes, you have some certifications. But more importantly, you present yourself well as on top of that, right? So eight of the 10 people that went through our program or seven, six of them were black, right? We had people literally living on the street. And then we had a girl who was black and she was a digital media arts major at SF State, just couldn't find a job. Yeah. Right. We had everything in between. We even had an undocumented immigrant father of two, you know, and he was the one person who showed up to every single class. That's awesome. You know? And so when these 10 people graduated, we were like, all right, what do we do next? So Sean Dros, the founder of Hack Reactor, unannounced came to our graduation. And I had each one of them, I didn't know that he was in the audience, but each one of them told their story. So he came up to me afterwards and he was like, man, what can I do? Like, listen, I, I run this shit. Like I can make decisions kind of thing, you know? Like, and I was like, it would be great to talk about scholarships or discounts or something to your full-time immersives because the plan right now I put in place was Tech SF. And you kind of broke down that code ramp is like zero to... He broke that down for me when I... Yeah. 
their biz dev team broke that down for me. They sent me the curriculum when I got Hack Reactor and everything. And I thought, this is a good start, yeah. right? So yeah, I already knew that the HTML, CSS, and JavaScript code ramp, the five-week thing, is not going to get you the tech job. That's like zero to 20. Zero to 20, exactly. And the Hack Reactor program is like what? 20 to 80. I mean, that's the 80 hours, 70 hours of class instruction a week, 5% acceptance rate, 10 to 12 weeks, $18,000, right? But it turns you 99% job placement rate in tech, right? In a yeah, tech-related field. Average salary over 100K too. Yeah. So for your graduates, it would be life-changing, right? Absolutely. For anybody, for it's anybody. life-changing. Yeah. If you can put in the work, right? Yeah. I've had friends go through that shit, you know, and they like, I see them halfway through the course and they're like, they're half bald, like, you know, like they've <laughs> emaciated, right? They're just so stressed. <laughs> But then they come out of it and you're like full on fledged like software developer or engineer. Tell us about your friend who used to who went to like the public library and was taking all the online courses and who's about to take the interview at Hacker Hacker. Yeah, this guy Jorge, right? I got introduced to him through Lavame, the mobile showers for the homeless. Because I'm on the board, but I like to go to the bus every Saturday and volunteer and clean the showers. One of the the managers introduced me to him and said, This guy's high potential. Okay, I was like, Okay, let me talk to him. So I found out that he had got his own scholarships online to Coursera, did Ruby on Rails, full stack web development, edX, same thing, and spent his whole day at the public library, even though he slept outside in a tent. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is amazing, right? (laughs) Because I just started working in the trenches again. I didn't even know. I, I had my own judgments, right? My own preconceptions and biases. So he gets into the coding boot camp, shows up every night with his big backpack like you would take on a camping trip, right? Real soft-spoken guy, glasses, kind of middle-aged, you know. And uh, obviously, Jorge, Mexican or Latino. I'm pretty sure he's Mexican. And uh, yeah, so so Sean talks to me and is like, you know, we have some different financing mechanisms. So anybody that really wants to go into Hacker Actor and you got some money, they've got different financing options. They've got WeFinance, which is basically a cool little platform where you set your own, it's crowdfunding, loan crowdfunding. You set your own interest rate. And then you get your network to help you get scholarships. And it's been successful. Yeah, it, it was cool. They gave me a little demo. I was like, that's cool, but still not, it's just not going to work. And yeah. you know, coming from like a, a private sector background, my problem with nonprofits today is that they're too nice. Yeah. You got to go in there and you got to ask for everything that you want and more. And then whatever you get is what you get. But um, you got to fight, right? And especially under-resourced. And here I am living off a tax refund. So I even got a bigger fire under my ass, right? So Sean, I meet with Sean for coffee last week after I'm like, I go through with his team. Who His team is great. One of the guys who works in corp dev at HackRack even offered to mentor and buy a laptop for one of our students that went through code. Wow. Right and this, this guy, Marvin, went through it with a cast on his hand from East Oakland, grew up in the hood, was hustler, went, had broken his hand and went through our Hack Reactor code ramp course with a cast on his hand the whole time. Wow. Yeah. And so he wants to, to help Marvin out. I hope Marvin's not listening to this shit because he doesn't know that he's about to get the laptop. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. amazing. Yeah. So, so Sean hears about Jorge. Yeah. So Sean here, we have coffee. I, I email Sean and I'm like, hey, I got Sean's email because he introduced me to you guys. Yep. And I didn't have, I had a draft in my email to try and reach out to him, but I just, I'm doing like 10 fucking thousand things. So I find his email through you guys. So I'm like, yo man, can we meet for coffee? So he's like, yeah, I got time right now. So we meet up at Equator right there on Market Street up the block. And, um, you know, I start by saying, I met with your team. They showed me Climb, which is another yep. financing mechanism. We finance. But to be real with you, man, even a $500 deposit is not going to cut it. They did give us 
discount promo codes, a waived fee to Telegraph Academy. So they, yeah, they so, own Telegraph, which is awesome. Yeah, we just yeah. we just interviewed Aubrey like Sunday. Is that yeah. the founder of Telegraph? Yeah, founder, yeah, of, Telegraph. founder of Telegraph. Yeah. Aubrey. Yeah. That's they're sick. You and know? they have Telegraph prep too. Yeah. So that's is, what they gave us access to. Their online telegraph prep, which is their code ramp that they teach. Yep. So they waived the fee for that. And it's basically what we taught just online. And right now we don't have funding for a space. So I was like, let me divert all the people interested in tech to this telegraph code ramp and give them the discount code so they can learn tech on their own. Right. And so I said, this is all awesome what you've offered, Sean. Help. What can we do, man? You know, it's just tell me what you're willing to do. And he's like, listen, when me and my friend started Hack Reactor four years ago, we didn't have any idea it was going to get this big. Right. And what I'd like to offer you because is the high potential students in your in your course, the two or three, I'd like to meet with them for coffee and do my assessment with them, mentor them and have them apply to our Hack Reactor program. If they get in, they get in. If they don't, we'll pair them with a mentor and reapply. I said, deal. So within 24 hours, he met with two of our students, Jorge and Empty. Empty Taylor is, um, he's just an amazing fucking human being, man. She switched genders in between, in, during our code ramp. Wow. She went from male to female. She was a transitional youth referral from New Door Ventures, which is a nonprofit in the mission that works with a transitional youth. I used to live right next to that. Right there, 20th and Harrison. Yeah, I was yeah. on 20th and Florida. Okay, right there, yeah. So she, went th- she, was the, she presented her portfolio at our Zendesk fundraiser, and she wants to do gaming, right? So I paired her up with a, a volunteer that works at Zynga, you know, and then Sean met with her. One of our coding bootcamp instructors, Michael Pope, just emailed me today and offered empty a spot at his place for if she gets into the entire Hack Reactor course. Wow. She stayed at my place two weeks ago after she graduated from the coding bootcamp. Talk about boundaries, right? Separating work from personal life. Well, I was worried that empty would be a victim of a hate crime. You know, she's walking around in a pink dress. People are snickering at her and... She was by and far the most talented one in our coding bootcamp and had just finished an internship at Northwest Mutual in IT, right? While she was doing the code ramp course, got us six laptop donations. I picked up six Dell laptops because of empty telling the office manager that we needed laptops. Wow. Six on Friday. And so she stayed at my place, 4th of July weekend, got herself into a shelter for a couple of weeks and then figured out she couldn't get a 90 day bed, right? So our coding volunteer instructor, Michael he said, if she gets into that program because he has his own place, she can stay at my place because she'll be at Hack Reactor 70 hours a week. It's not going to be a burden on me. She's going to mm-hmm. have to be out the door when I have to go to work to my tech job. And I'm, I'm brought tear to my eyes. You know, Sean emailed Michael back today because he copied both of us. Wow, with 50 exclamation points. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, um, you know, I just met Sean. I didn't know he was so... Sometimes you see these tech bros and you're not sure who they are as people. Mm-hmm. Right, because you see all these tech bros write articles about I shouldn't have to pass by homeless people every day, and I worked hard, and this dad just have an education, they're just crack addicted and whatever. Then you got the other bros that are like about some real shit. Yep. like Sean goes into San Quentin Prison, yep. with the nonprofit Last Mile, yep. and built that whole internal system where they can learn to code without internet, and you know that blows my mind. Here yeah. he is running a multi million dollar coding school, putting hundreds of people to work, right, giving them opportunity. And then he does, he does, he's willing to meet for coffee with one of our coding bootcamp homeless students, right? It's amazing. Yeah, he's an amazing guy. And we interviewed him as well. So, yeah. And he just connected us with Beverly from Last Mile uh, with the San Quentin program. Awesome. That's coming. She's going to be on the podcast too. So, that's awesome, man. So, it sounds like you're still forming the program. Yeah. So, just to ask you about the future for Code Tenderloin, what is your vision over the next year? What kind of jobs do you want your students to find? 
what kind of skill sets do you want your students to learn over the, like and i guess you can also talk about any support that you think you would need so then our listeners they could be working at a startup can mm-hmm. reach out to you and offer that help and why tech is the focus yeah so <laughs> i'm gonna keep it real again i mean i'm not in love just with hack reactor i love general assembly Mm-hmm. I yep. love App Academy, right? Yep. <laughs> I have a meeting at App Academy tomorrow. Keep it one nice. because I I found out they they don't take a, a fee at all. You just pay ten percent or some portion of your salary yep. after you get out. Yep, that's tight. That's yeah. where Timo went to bootcamp. Nice. Yeah, nice. we're interviewing founder of App Academy tomorrow, right? Not tomorrow, the following week. But Kush, yeah, Kush, yeah. So yep. he's the one. So we have a new volunteer that he's a developer, and so he wants to. I had this idea to basically do workforce development based on employer needs in tech, right? Because one month they need WordPress for a designer or Squarespace or whatever the fuck, right? The next month they're like, oh, things have changed. JavaScript, C++, Swift, Node.js, AngularJS. I don't know what any of these mean, but I know that needs change in tech faster than any other industry. So what we decided to do was reverse engineer our curriculum and rapidly prototype it using design thinking. So we'll take we'll, Twitter, we'll go show us our job descriptions. And we have engineers at Twitter that are volunteers now. Tell us what you're going to need for languages. What is changing? And we, our new volunteer, Utsab, is taking all that and reverse engineering it into a curriculum and using free online sources like Free Code Camp and stuff like that. Oh, where yeah. You, free Code Camp is awesome. Yeah. And we're going to meet with App Academy. I talked to the head of General Assembly's social impact arm in New York, and he offered scholarships through their Opportunity Fund, which is for underrepresented people, and then also to connect the people at General Assembly local for their little free workshops, little meetups, right? Little part-time online courses. So I have no loyalty in the sense that any opportunity that presents itself for the people that we serve, I'm going to go after. So there's no exclusive relationships. And Sean himself said, don't keep it exclusive. He said, go out and hustle and get every single access to opportunity you can get in tech and just go with it. As much bandwidth as you have to actually operate and make these partnerships, do it. So the future is full-time immersives. We have one story by the end of the year. If we get one placement in tech, somebody making high five figures as a junior developer, that changes the game. Because then you took someone literally off the street that everybody misconceived and misperceived, and you put them enough support around them, right? Just enough social services support, enough case management, enough mental health recovery, enough soft skills training through our partnerships with the tech companies at Piano Fight, and then the hard skills training in tech, and then actually completing the full-time immersive, I mean, that to me would be a miracle. Oh, absolutely. That's going to happen. Yeah. I believe you got the passion for it. I feel it, man. I I feel your vision. That's going to be amazing. Yeah. And then in the meantime, I'll just say, like, as a side note, in our job readiness program, I had Juanolo come by. I know you know about Juanolo, right? I had them come by and make a presentation for on-demand staffing. They're an app work now locally. Because our folks, look, they're homeless, they're poor, they're about to get evicted, they need income. So they're not willing to sit in a four-week job readiness class on Mondays and Wednesday mornings, even though we cover their expenses like childcare and transport, without work. So I put six girls to work at Bloomingdale's last week, part-time, right? And they come to our job readiness program, they work on the resume, they go hustle on Market Street and Taylor Street. I'm telling you the truth. You will find them on Taylor Street hustling. But every time I walk by, they say, hey, Neil, what's happening? (laughs) You know? They have pampers to buy, just like you and me, you know, for our kids. So I, I just don't really care. As long as they're doing something productive in their life and they're eventually going to leave the street life, we 
you know, turn or what do you call it, blind eye. I don't really care at this point. Yeah. You know, we partner with the public defender's office on Clean Slate. We've had 40 people sign up to get their ex- records expunged and reduced. And Jeff Adachi, the public defender himself, came to our fundraiser. And I mean, he's my boy. Yeah. Jeff, if you don't know Jeff Adachi, you better know him. And then, like I said, financial literacy. One of the classes we're devoting That's completely huge. to building credit with a nonprofit called Mission Asset Fund, opening these free checking and savings accounts at this tech credit union. And tech credit union was actually founded by the guys who started Intel and Kleiner Perkins at Sequoia Capital. I didn't know that. So after the people get through the program, you, you connect them with the financial literacy, or is that done in conjunction? No, that's the second to last day of our, our program. This Very time. cool. And then mental health and wellness. So I have like my meditation guru is a Swami. He's coming in to lead a meditation. And that really goes over well with the guys that are formerly locked up. Yep. Because they spent 13, 15, 17, 20 years in prison. What else do you do but turn inward, right? Yeah. And then so mental health and wellness is a big part of our thing. I'm just so excited for the future because we got funding from the city. Finally, Jane Kim, the district supervisor, she sponsored our budget. We got city funding, which is a little slow, but that unlocks private capital, right? So we're looking at tipping point community now to get some funding, which is unrestricted, flexible funding. That's like the golden nugget. That's like the, the holy grail in nonprofit, unrestricted, flexible funding where they don't ask you any questions. They just do a huge due diligence process on your data, impact, evaluation, and tracking, and then they give you the money. Man, you, you've done a lot as and a full-time this is all since, September, uh, <laughs> since February yeah. of this wow. year. Wow. That's absolutely impressive. And yeah. I have a quick question. So if people are wondering probably like what the application process is like and do they actually need to live in Tenderloin or what are the kind of the minimums they need to have to apply and get into Code Tenderloin? Man, we got people coming from Vallejo, Antioch, Oakland. Yep. People that got gentrified. Yeah, exactly. They got pushed out. Fillmore. Fillmore is big. Hunter's Point, Bayview. And I know, that, I know this because every single person I sit down with, right? And I'm like, where'd you grow up? Like, Fillmore. Where do you live now? Antioch. What? You know, so it happened. You know, they got pushed out just like any other gentrification process. But the Tenderloin is unique because all these nonprofits here, they either own the, the buildings where the, S, the single resident occupancies are, the, single, the SROs. Yes. I was going to ask if you worked with the SROs. Oh, big time. Yeah. Today, I was making a presentation at TNDC, Tenderloin Neighborhood Development Corporation, to their leadership academy, which basically takes SRO residents and helps them learn how to do grassroots political campaigns. So I'd say, so anybody that wants to apply, I mean, really, like I said, anybody that's going through a Tenderloin-like situation. So you could have a master's degree or a bachelor's degree and you're unemployed. We took one kid that graduated from University of San Francisco, this little kid, Davey, and we placed him at Lending Club in customer success. Wow. You know? <laughs> Our roommate's at Lending Club. Yeah. But yeah. He, he grew up in the Tenderloin. That's um, great. So yeah, the whole gamut. And you guys help people, you help place people, not just in coding jobs, but pretty much any job that that person would be qualified for, correct? Qualified and wants to do, right? Yeah. yeah. So we took a guy that was working for Clean City Streets. I met him and I asked, how much are you making out here, man? He sweeps the streets. He's like minimum wage. I said, there's something better. You want something better? So he comes, he does the intake. Three weeks later, he's in our coding boot camp. He got a job at the hall on Market Street as a busser, 30 yeah. hours a week. He got a job at Piano Fight in the kitchen, and he's staying at a hospitality house in a sober house. And like, and people talk about like hiring hustlers and people that are scrappy, and that's like the yes. definition of it right there. Yes. All those kids that you guys are going to walk markets down Market Street tomorrow morning, weed, 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 weed. Those kids are the ones oh, in yeah. our program. You just oh, yeah. don't know. They commute from Oakland just like every other commuter at 7 in the morning. They're out there earlier than me. Oh, yeah. Go on in. Yeah. They got distribution, logistics locked down. They yeah. know sales. Yeah, exactly. We're just just giving an opportunity to transform the hustle. Yep. 
Wow. Very cool. So Tim was going to tell you a little bit yeah, about the, the so, lightning round. To wrap yeah, it at up. this point in our podcast, uh, we do the lightning round, which is when uh, Ruben, Arthur, and I will ask you a series of questions and uh, try to provide uh, brief answers, but fill them with uh, tactics, strategies, resources that you've used to create these opportunities for your students, also just from your life experience. So Arthur, take it away. Yeah, so this is... Um a question that kind of brings it back to the basics. So imagine you were dropped in a new city. You only had a hundred dollars, and um, you had to start all over again. Kind of, what would you do, and how would you spend that hundred dollars? Take a Greyhound to San Francisco. <laughs> if I was in New York, nice. Got it. Got and it. And then once you get here, call Tenderloin, and then take it from there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. That's awesome. Throughout this process, while you was going through your ups and downs, specifically the downs, what song, movie, or art piece did you look at that kind of inspired you to get through those roadblocks i'm a big fan of the soul so al green okay so tired of being alone uh, marvin gay and james brown big payback i like it that's a good song so so that's the soul side right and then when i feel like yg okay (laughs) why two letters for you yg I mean, um, I think my Bank of America account got six. (laughs) (laughs) I just I love rap. I love soul. I love jazz. I was classically trained in the piano. Oh, yeah. I played the cello. Very cool. So there we go. So, I mean, that's music. Books. uh, It ranges from everything from an Indian philosopher called Krishnamurti. He my mom started giving me these little spiritual books when I was like 10 or 11. So I read those. And then um, I read as much as I can on, you know, everything from capitalism in the 21st century. Piketty's book to translations of the Gita. I mean, it just it, the whole range. Yeah. Yeah. So the next question is, um, so clearly you've helped dozens of people um, find jobs, kind of start from the bottom and uh, end up at some of the positions at some of the top companies in the Bay. What is the one piece of advice do you have for someone who is literally homeless somewhere on the street and they have this like hustle, they have this desire to make it but they just don't know what to where to start that's a great question i think for me if i was in that situation a i would be fearless absolutely fearless you put yourself out there for anything and i'll give you the perfect example there's this kid termaine turner i mean this motherfucker he he talked like that. he from florida you know he been <laughs> lied up. he went through some shit he talks like that literally okay <laughs> so I, I i meet up with him he's staying at msc south he came from florida you know formerly incarcerated I meet him through a friend who's staying at MSC South who went through our program, and he comes and calls me three months ago. We run into each other on the, on the market street every once in a while. I find out that this kid, when I run into him last time, got a job driving for Chariot, the startup, the yep, tra- yep. commuter company, right? Part-time. Started working for Postmates. I had Juan Olo come in on Monday, and I ran into him outside Chai Bar, right, in the morning. I had my headphones in, listen to YG. I, he came up. He's like, what happened? What do you, right? So he's like, I need my red man. I won't get it to another company. So I'm like, okay, we'll come to Piano Fight. I'll print it out for you. So he's sitting in the Wanolo presentation, right? They're doing a slideshow. And the next slide pops up, and there's a picture of them giving an example of Wanoloer, they call. There's three white people sitting around a laptop and a brother pointing at the laptop in the picture. And it's fucking Termaine. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking Termaine. And, uh, I mean, the whole class just erupted in laughter because I told him, go back to the last slide. You recognize anybody in there? <laughs> and um, he didn't even know that he was going to be like, you know, in the pitch or anything. He, he actually thought he got rejected for one Wanolo because of his criminal background. It was just a bug in the app. So the Wanoloers, the community manager, helped re-signed him up for the app. So, so that's the perfect example, Termaine. Awesome. So be like Termaine. Yeah, be like Termaine. Got it. What's one thing that you fundamentally believed 
while you were going through this process that you changed your mind on after this short amount of time that you've been working on this? There have been multiple times where I've reached a breaking point the last four months. As much inspiration will only take you so far. You know, when you can't pay your bills, you know, you go through trauma every day dealing with people, right? It's my spiritual program that keeps me intact, man. It's like, for example, we got so much media done on CNBC and, and I was on the cover of the San Francisco Business Times and I felt like I got misquoted. Just be fucking happy with all the progress you've made. Look where you were. You were a fucking coke fiend spending eight hours in the middle of the night blowing your nose after doing an eight ball. Look where you are today. You're on the cover of the San Francisco Business Times, right? Eight months later. So I think the lesson there is keep your head down, but be optimistic. Yep. Quickest way to happiness is gratitude. That's right. I like that. I like that. Straight up. Yeah, for sure. And I I guess uh, you shared a lot of about Cotenderloin and your story. What is the best way for listeners to get in touch with you? If they have any questions about kind of the breaking in process, joining Cotenderloin, are you on any social media? What's your website? Tell listeners how they can get in touch. So I don't use, I don't use Facebook. I haven't since college. Uh, We have a Cotenderloin Facebook page. We have a uh, Twitter. We have an Instagram. I just tell people, I give out my phone number to people that I work with, like literally to get into our program every day. So I email codetenderloin at gmail.com or go to the website codetenderloin.com and, and submit a volunteer form submission or like an application if you want to join the program. And right now I'm the person responding to all of them. So you're getting right to me. <laughs> That's you awesome. think there's like some <laughs> infrastructure organization behind it all. No, it's just me at like two in the morning being like, all right, let's meet for coffee. That's awesome. And oh. then one more time for our listeners, what up positions and what kind of what help can you can you use for your day to day programs and running co-tenderline? So everything from a volunteer coordinator, yeah. right, to coordinate all volunteers, to someone who uses Salesforce, right? We just got a grant and I got trained on a Salesforce implementation. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, right? Yeah, yeah Salesforce is complicated. Yeah, so <laughs> cust- helping me customize Salesforce even more for you know donor management, client management, volunteer. Speaking of which, like a Salesforce system administrator gets paid very well, so somebody learns how to do that, right? And so now we have our coding, where we have our students become mentors and TAs, right? So anybody that wants to get involved, if you're a developer, shit, be a coding bootcamp instructor, be a mentor. We have now a professional mentorship program where we pair people up with our students directly. So it cuts out us as the middleman. And that's how you get the real experience. Like if you, if you want to go to Glide as a Salesforce employee, you can go there eight times a year and serve breakfast and leave, right? And go back to your job 364 days a year. If you want to actually put your skills to use, Code Tenderloin's one of the organizations which, which enables you to do that in a big, impactful way. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll stay in touch. And um, anything Thanks for that you want to put in the, in the show notes, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you guys just having me here, man. And and holding my feet to the fire about keeping it real because, yeah, I love what you guys are doing. I, this is my first podcast interview. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. It was awesome having you. We're going to have to have you again in a few months once you have your first graduate. And uh, we'll actually love to interview your graduates too. Absolutely. And, uh, feature absolutely. their stories okay. as well. Okay. And uh, I guess if anyone has a free, I mean, if anyone has an old laptop or any yeah. technology that they're not using anymore, maybe they're considering upgrading to a new latest MacBook, then Hey, you guys are always looking for donations, right? For your- and cell phones. And cell, cell phones. Yeah, because we got most of our people have Obama phones, which are lifelines. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so we, they need smartphones. So yeah. not just laptops. Like, those yeah. are great. Yeah. But um, smartphones. Yeah. Cell phones, smartphones. Yeah. Uh, we encourage you guys to take a walking tour of the Tenderloin and, yeah, just connect with these guys. Yeah, we'll include all the information in the show notes. 
Peace. Yeah. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in. Let's break in.